Welcome to the Jongets Games Podcast, where in today's episode, you'll be hearing the audio from the game's radar vlog that came out in August of 2020. In that vlog, I discussed 31 games that I have learned about over the last four weeks, and I sorted them in alphabetical order. If you'd like to see what they all are, I've put them in the description of this podcast. Before we move on, I do want to mention that the only reason this podcast is being made is because of the direct support coming in through the Jongets Games Patreon campaign. If you would like to directly support the creation of these podcasts, as well as my regular videos, then you can do so by going to patreon.com slash Games. And if you enjoy listening to my vlogs instead of watching them, I do hope you'd consider supporting the campaign. The final thing I'd like to ask is that if you have any questions or comments about anything I say today, that you leave those as a comment on the YouTube page for the vlog, and you can find a link to that in the description of this podcast. All right, let's now start talking about these games, and for that, I'm going to bring out my laptop, and we are going to go through each one of these games on their Board Game Geek page. Now, the way I find these games is that I uh, am subscribed to a list of the new games that are added onto the Board Game Geek database, and whenever I think one looks interesting, I subscribe to it, and then I use that subscription list to try and make these vlogs. So with that in mind, we can begin with 12 parsecs. Now, it looks like I am among only three people who are subscribed to this right now, and and the main reason I am is because the publisher is Story Machine Games. Now, they put out a game called Rosetta, and I covered my impressions of this one just uh, like two months ago or so, and that was a game where one person was making up a language on the fly uh, with um, a pictographical language like hieroglyphics, and everyone else is trying to figure out what the meaning of these things are. It was a really neat experience that I would like to play more, but it's kind of hard to in these uh, COVID times. Uh, but either way, I thought there were some great ideas in there and good production quality, so now I'm keeping my eye out for Story Machine games. And this game right here says it's a race to space by building spaceships, training cadets, and producing fuel. Now. Normally, if a game is under 15 minutes, it's not enough for me to subscribe on BoardGameGeek, and this one is listed as 8 to 15 minutes. But again, I do like this publisher, at least what they've done in the past, so I want to see more. Now, this appears to be a game that was the winner of a 2020 design machine contest under the theme of social distancing for obvious reasons, and it is a game where every single round, three dice are rolled, and then every player gets to use the same dice. Now, uh, what you do is you pair up two of these dice to do something. I can't remember the specifics. And then you use the other die to do something else. So this has that great um, dice rolling uh, idea where you have some randomness and then you figure out what to do with it. And having all of those options to pair and then use the other one for a different action seems like a pretty neat idea. Obviously, it's listed as an 8 to 15 minute game, so it's probably not going to be particularly complex, but it's got a really nice um, like uh, Buck Rogers kind of aesthetic going on. And yeah, overall, I like what I've seen in here so far, and hopefully I have a chance to play this one in the future, uh, it really does have a great overall aesthetic style to it. Okay, let's now move on to the next game, which is called Alain Nune. Uh, I'm sure that's not how you pronounce it. I believe it means all nine or something like that, and a uh, different language, probably German. Uh, now, I am interested in this game primarily because the designer is Wolfgang Kramer, and it looks like it has a relatively neat idea. It says that the way you play is players score by collecting certain fields that add up to nine. Whenever a player enters a new section with their pawn, they receive a field from the previous section, but you have to be careful because sometimes players will block the coveted fields. Uh, and 
the more pawns that move forward, the more sparse the selection is. You can rush forward and collect fields quickly, or you could wait in order to pick up some stuff that other people have left behind. Now, there is an image of what this looks like on BoardGameGeek. It appears to be a series of uh, square tiles with uh, various, like, cactus and kangaroo and numbers on them with pawns. And it looks like this is probably a relatively simple game, but um, it might be the kind of game where you can go as far ahead as you want, uh, trying to pick up specific numbers that work out for you. It's kind of hard to understand exactly what that description meant, but it does seem like if you lag behind, there is benefits and penalties for that, and if you go really far forward, there are benefits and penalties for that. It seems like if you go far forward, you're going to get specific tiles that add up to nine better, but if you stay behind, then I think you just get maybe more tiles in general, even if they aren't the specific tiles you want. Um, I like games with uh, simple rule sets overall, and it looks like this one probably does have that, and it's listed as a 30-minute playtime for two to five players. Uh, so yeah, this one could be a neat one. Um, it also might not have enough there to really keep me engaged, but this is the kind of game that I certainly would wouldn't mind trying at a convention or something like that um, if I ever make it back to one of those. Uh, all right, let's now move on to Allegra. Now, this one is being designed and published by people that I'm not familiar with. And the main reason that I found this one interesting, well, honestly, the first reason is because it has a really pretty cover. <laughs> Lots of games that on this vlog don't have covers at all, but sometimes they do. And this one has a vibrant cover with all sorts of uh, wonderful graphics on it. And the cards just have big numbers on them, but they also have really great graphics on them as well. So I'm kind of a sucker for that stuff. Um, either way, what's going on in this game is you are trying to, I guess, get as low a score as possible. And at the start of the game, you're going to be setting up in front of you a grid of cards that are all face down. Now, the key thing about this game is that the far right column in your area has a token on top of it. And that token is there to remind you that those cards are yours and the cards to your opponent. So each person is essentially sharing one column with a person over to their right. Now, as you're playing through the game, it seems like the actions are pretty simple. You are drawing cards from the top. You are swapping cards with your area. And in fact, other players can ask to swap a card from their area into your area. That's kind of all I know about it at this point. I don't fully understand it from the description, but that alone is kind of interesting overall, and you're trying to get as low a score as possible. And I know that if you make a uh, row or column of three or more, including the shared ones, that those cards are removed. And I'm not sure if they're replaced or not, or but either way, there's, there's lots of little puzzly things going on in this game. And you keep playing until uh, one of the conditions is one person having all of their cards face up. So I guess you start with a lot of uncertainty, and then you try to work your way into as low a score as possible as you are going through um, the cards that are in front of you. Um, so yeah, overall, I think it looks like it could be a pretty compelling, simple game uh, that, again, at this point, I don't fully understand, but um, at some point, I do hope they put some rules up for this so that I can uh, figure it out more. Uh, there is one video online on BGG, but it's in Polish, and I don't speak Polish, and there's, uh, yeah, no files. So at this moment, uh, there's quite a bit more I'd like to learn about this relatively simple card game. Uh, moving on, we now have Arkenshield, The Gates of Theyan. Uh, now, this one is, once again, uh, designed and published by people that I'm not familiar with. Um, and, once again, the reason this caught my eye is because I really like the cover. Uh, I definitely start judging games by their cover. I try to go into a lot more depth after that, but uh, something about this cover really called to me. It has this kind of, like, a model effect of terrain with the various levels that almost look like a topographical map with the lines going around them. It just really stuck out to me. And then when I looked at the details of the game, it says that it is a uh, deck building style game that's uh, cooperative and there are a bunch of different mechanics that are listed in it. Um, there is exploration uh, and fantasy as far as overall categories. And there is also apparently a campaign and area movement as well. Uh, in the description of the game, it talks about how this is a deck building game that also has 
board gaming elements, and there have certainly been many deck-building cooperative games in the past, so I'm not sure if there's anything in here to actually separate it from the pack, or if it's just a regular deck-building cooperative game that happens to have a really interesting cover. Um, there's uh, quite a few photos on BoardGameGeek at the moment, but not a ton of specifics about how it actually plays individually, so I'm looking forward to learning more about this one. All right, next up we have Cartographer's Heroes. Now, this is a standalone um, sequel expansion to Cartographers, um, and that's a game that I really liked. In fact, I am planning on doing a sponsored playthrough for Cartographers Heroes um, at some point in the near future. Uh, now, Cartographers is a flip-and-write style game where you're flipping over cards that give you options to draw different terrain onto your map in front of you, and each time you play, there are different scoring conditions that you can play to um, that work in a very similar way to Isle of Sky. Uh, now, I really liked that game overall, so I'm quite excited to try this new one out. And on BoardGameGeek right now, they just have the cover. They don't have any images of the actual maps or anything like that. But it does say that, let's see over here, uh, it's the sequel to the critically acclaimed map drawing game. It includes all new map sheets, scoring cards, explore cards, and ambush cards with unique abilities. So it seems like it's doing everything that Cartographers did, but with more stuff to shuffle in. Uh, perhaps it's more complex. Uh, I'm not sure where the heroes part of Cartographer's Heroes comes into play, um, and hopefully I'll learn that relatively soon because I am going to be doing a video for this one again uh, in the relatively near future. So uh, I'm looking forward to having an opportunity to play this one because um, fortunately for me, I will get a chance uh, earlier than most. Okay, next up we have Clever Hawk Dry, which I believe, when I put it into Google Translate, means uh, clever to the third power. Now, this is essentially the third Ganshun Clever style game. Um, that was the first one, and the second one was, I believe, Doplet So Clever. And each one of these games uses the same mechanic where dice are rolled uh, on a player's turn, and they can uh, re-roll dice, and the dice that they are not using, their opponents can use on their board. Now, each one of these games has a scoreboard that um, looks honestly like a uh, Vegas gambling kind of thing, and you um, are trying to complete all of these different mini-games. I believe each one of the games comes with, let's see, yeah, five different mini-games. I think that's the same for all of them. Uh, the difference is that each mini-game is totally different in each of the games. Uh, so I have played Ganshin Clever and Doppelt So Clever, and now here is is the third one of these with, I'm assuming, the same core rule set, but again, new um, various minigames to go on. So um, I think I am definitely interested in learning more about it. Right now, there is speculation threads on BoardGameGeek, but at this moment, I don't know anything really more than that beyond being intrigued to know how it works more. And at some point in the future, hopefully I'll have a chance to play this one because I did like uh, the first two games in that series. All right, next up we have Cloud City. Uh, now, this one jumped out to me because the designer is Phil Walker-Harding, who has designed um, a few games that I quite like. I don't necessarily like all of their games, uh, but one in particular was Baron Park, which uh, really impressed me overall. Now, it says, in Cloud City, you compete against other architects to create the best city planning project to be chosen by the city council. You're going to develop your city with buildings and build walkways to connect buildings to one another. And that all sounds a lot more interesting once you've seen a little bit more to the game. Now, right now, on Board Game Geek, there is just a image of the box cover. However, uh, there is also a video from Dice Tower uh, that they did a unboxing. And in that, you can see the back of the box, and you can uh, see that in this game, you are building three-dimensional buildings, and then you are going to be laying cardboard planks on top of those buildings that are going to um, kind of 
go on top of each other, just building up this big model. So that alone has me uh, super interested. Honestly, that sounds very cool. Um, I, uh, Baron Park had a little bit of that going on with their expansion with the monorails, which I have not played, but I've seen images of. So this seems like it could be pretty darn cool. This is uh, being published by Blue Orange Games, who generally uh, have great uh, production value going on in their games. So the combination of the publisher plus the designer makes me um, quite interested in giving this one a shot. Uh, looking back, it says it's a 30 to 60 minute game. So it's not even like a filler style game that definitely seems like there's going to be a good amount of stuff to think about. So I'm really looking forward to giving this one a shot. All right, let's now move on to another cloud game. This is Cloud Age. Now, uh, this one jumped right out at me when I was surfing uh, Twitter, actually. Uh, and a couple people I follow sometimes post German updates. I don't speak German, but there are oftentimes photos. And one of them had an image of this game. And I thought this image looked super cool. It's got this great um, kind of like Mad Max almost uh, art aesthetic going on with a big Zeppelin in the sky. And then when I looked at it more, I saw Alexander Pfister on the cover. Uh, so I went to Board Game Geek and I found it here. And this is indeed the new Alexander Pfister design that's coming out, um, well, hypothetically for Spiel, but I guess Spiel Digital. Uh, there's another designer on here, Arno Steinwinder. And that name is not familiar to me, but they have quite a few design credits on Board Game Geek, uh, none of which are familiar to me. But either way, it looks like they know what they're doing. <laughs> now, um, actually, a, a Twitter thread was started. Um, I tweeted about this uh, that Alexander Pfister actually uh, participated in, uh, giving a little bit more information. And in fact, some of that has been uh, put into a variety of different posts. There are already many posts on Board Game Geek because people are excited about this game. But um, the overall idea of this game is it is a a lighter weight Euro game than he normally makes. Uh, he specifically said he thinks it's a little bit heavier than Wingspan, maybe on the same level as the Taverns of Tiefenthal, which is certainly a lot less complexity than Markaibo, which he came out with last year, and Blackout Hong Kong, which came out, you know, the year before that and whatnot. Uh, now, in this game, uh, apparently it's kind of a post-apocalyptic situation, and the main mechanic that's really sticking out here is it says there's an innovative sleeving mechanism that makes new immersive uh, forms of resource gathering possible. Uh, players are trying to predict which cloud covered terrain will contain the desired amount of resources that they want when they are doing the rest of their turn. Um, now, apparently these are sleeves that have clouds on them and then cards are going to be put into these. I imagine without seeing them, I haven't seen the specifics of this. So um, when you match the sleeves to the cards, there are going to be different things that are obscured every time you shuffle all this stuff up. Um, now it says it has a a mix of engine building, deck building, and resource management, and a campaign system to, that makes it easy to start playing quickly. I imagine it's going to be similar to the Maracaibo campaign system. Um, so I'd like to know more. I mean, I think that uh, sleeving mechanics in board games can be quite interesting. So far, every one of those games I've seen has been designed by John DeClaire, so it's cool to see another designer getting into that space. And there's, I'm sure, a lot more that can happen in that space beyond card crafting like we've seen in Mystic Vale, and it definitely seems like that's not what they're doing here. I mean, I could be wrong. It does say deck, bag, or pool building, so maybe that is what's happening, but uh, we'll just have to learn more about this one soon. I know there's a pre-order campaign for it out already, but there are no rules posted yet, so I am very curious to see how this one actually works. All right, let's now move on to Desolated. Now, this is a 2020 release that says it's an engine builder for one to six players where you harvest, explore, trade, and dominate. Now, I'm not familiar with the designer or the uh, publishing studio for this one, but 
I am interested in engine building games in general. This says it's a 30 to 45 minute game for one to six players, which means it's probably not going to be terribly complex overall, but um, it is at least over 30 minutes, which means it's not necessarily a, uh, a filler type thing where you're not thinking about it too much. Uh, now, there is also some great art on the cards and the box uh, uh, image that are posted onto BGG. So overall, I'm just intrigued. I'd like to know more about how this one works. It probably is, again, relatively light considering its overall game length. But, you know, that's why I subscribe to these things. Uh, currently, I think it's just me and a couple other people. Yeah, three people are subscribing to this one. But who knows? This could be a really cool game or it could be something that doesn't really do much for me. Um, I will hopefully learn more about it in the future. Okay, let's move on to Dune Imperium. Uh, now, this does not have a lot on the page. It says that Dune Imperium is a deck-building and worker placement game set in the world of Dune. Now, Dune is a sci-fi series that came out many, many, many years ago. And I was actually uh, very much into it when I was like early to mid teenager. I've read most of the books, at least up until what, about 2002. I'm not sure if they've published any since then, uh, but I, I read a lot of them and I really liked the world that it inhabited. Uh, so seeing more games in the Dune world uh, definitely makes me intrigued, uh, I think for nostalgia, because again, I really liked, uh, especially the first book uh, and realistically the first three or so books. After that, I kept reading, but it made less and less sense especially to a little, uh, you know, 15-year-old brain. Um, but again, there's not much going on here, at least as far as what's uh, describing it, but it's got deck building, it's got worker placement. Those are both things I don't mind at all, and uh, I'd like to learn more about it. It has no designer listed, but it does have a publisher of Dire Wolf, um, which I believe does more digital adaptations of games, but either way, I am quite interested in learning more about this one, and I'm not alone. <laughs> there's almost 900 people subscribed to this one right now. Uh, all right, let's move on to Embarcadero. Uh, this one says you are going to build your empire to rule the waterfront of San Francisco during the gold rush. Now, this one is being published by Renegade Game Studios, and they generally have great production value in their games, so that's certainly a good start. Uh, now, down below, it says that, uh, let's see here, in Embarcadero, players step into the shoes of those savvy entrepreneurs who have uh, essentially bought out derelict ships that are just sitting at the harbor of San Francisco. Uh, you are going to build San Francisco on the hulls of these abandoned vessels and carve out a foothold in the city council, do you have what it takes to rule the waterfront? Uh, as far as mechanics are concerned, it says it has area majority, uh, automatic resource growth, which kind of sounds like engine building to me, uh, and market and zone control. So um, this seems like it could be pretty cool. It's got a listing of 60 to 90 minutes, which is, um, you know, pretty much my favorite length for a game. I really like uh, that overall length because it's easier to get more games into a board gaming evening. So I'm really looking forward to learning more about this one. Uh, currently, there are really no videos or anything. There's an image of the box cover on BGG, which looks nice overall, which I'm not too surprised by because Renegade Games uh, makes good looking games. Okay, let's move on to God's Love Dinosaurs. Uh, this says you have to balance the food chain with the tiniest herbivores, uh, from the tiniest herbivores to the biggest dinosaurs. Uh, this one is being published by Pandasaurus Games, and just like Renegade, they have a history of making very good looking games, uh, like really good production value going on. Um, now, it says in here that this is a cheeky, wild, and timeless take on the scientific tale as old as life itself. You are a god who has been tasked with designing an ecosystem with a sustainable food chain of predator and prey animals, but you just love dinosaurs, so all you really want to do is make as many of those as possible. Uh, so it seems like you're going to be adding tiles into your ecosystem, and you're going to be using various other animals as food for your uh, dinosaurs, but it's possible to um, 
make too many dinosaurs and then wipe out your food population and then have a whole bunch of them uh, die off, which you certainly don't want to have happen. Uh, right now, they just have a box cover and one image of what the game looks like, I imagine, at the start. So there's not a ton of information out just yet, but it seems like it's got a quirky theme. I like dinosaurs <laughs> as much as anyone else. And it says this is a 30 to 45 minute game for two to five players. So uh, once again, that is a time frame that I like. Uh, when games say they're less than 30 minutes, my interest starts to go down somewhat rapidly, uh, but 30 to 45 minutes, my interest is definitely there. Okay, let's move on to Guardian Gods. Uh, we have a couple god-named uh, <laughs> games here. This one says, discover the first deck-building god game, uh, whatever that means. <laughs> now this, it says it's a two-player game for 45 to 50, uh, 90 minutes, which is a pretty long time for a two-player-only deck-building style game. Uh, you've got dice rolling, multiple maps, and uh, bag building. And it says, in this game, you are assuming the role of a mighty god, and you are controlling the destiny of your people to try and defeat your opponent, because again, this is a two-player only game. It says that this combines elements of deck building with civilization building, and a core feature is indirect control that the players have over their kingdom. Uh, it also apparently has reverse deck building, where you perform miracles to do awesome things, but then you have to actually remove those cards from your deck, and there are legendary monsters that you can fight and also send over to your opponents. So it seems like it could be cool. Uh, it's got only an image of the box art, and as far as the aesthetic of that is concerned, I like it. It's kind of got a watercolory brush type of style going on. Um, I think that this could be neat. It also could be something I'm not terribly interested and uh, at the moment, uh, I'm intrigued enough to want to see what's coming more. Uh, but for now, um, there's really not a whole lot here on BGG. Let's move on to Influentia, or Influentia, one of those. <laughs> uh, this says it's a futuristic trick-taking game based on a post-industrial dystopia in Italy, specifically. Uh, now, this is being published by Ludo Nova, and they have definitely made some uh, good-looking games in the past. Um, they have 37 things listed on BGG. I think they do a lot of localization as well, um, but either way, uh, it says in here that the mechanics are set collection and trick-taking. So the way this game works is you are are playing cards into a trick-taking style. So one person leaves a card and then everybody else puts a card in. And then those cards are kind of like resources. Um, I'm not gonna read this whole description, but it seems like the person who wins the trick gets to take a card that was in the trick as a resource, but then I think everybody else leaves any other cards in front of them out there to then be used later on in the round. I'm not really sure how. Um, they have a bunch of um, photos of what the game looks like, um, so I'm not super sure about exactly how the mechanics work. I, I really like the cyberpunk dystopian theme uh, in the art that is being displayed here. Um, and in general, I think trick-taking games are Okay, like they're not my favorite thing in the world. Um, I do love Teach You, but I personally don't think that's a trick-taking game. Um, but I have enjoyed seeing um, interesting tweaks on the trick-taking uh, mechanic in general. And so it looks like this one uh, certainly might have that. Uh, now, if we go back, it looks like this game has a 45-minute playtime for three to four players. Uh, so it doesn't even have a two-player count listed. Um, and that is certainly interesting. So um, that is Influentia. I I'm, I'm looking forward to learning more about specifically what makes this one uh, different in the mechanical space uh, with other trick-taking games. 
Next up, we have Intramuros. It says, players rebuild the historic walled city of Intramuros, founded in the 16th century Manila. Now, this one says it's web published. I'm not sure if this one is ever going to be fully published. I think it's actually a print and play right now. Yeah, it is. Uh, and uh, the reason this one caught my eye is uh, right in the beginning of the description. It says, formerly named Carcassonne Inc., Intramuros is a roll and write game played over multiple rounds. Um, now, mostly it's the Carcassonne Inc. part. Um, that's obviously alluding to the game Carcassonne which I love, and the game Railroad Inc., which I also love. Uh, now, it does appear that that is what's going on in this game. You are essentially starting off with a Carcassonne-style uh, grid. You are going to roll four dice every single round, and then every player has to use all of the faces on those dice to build out this map in front of you that's a lot like each person is doing their own uh, game of Carcassonne. Uh, you are going to uh, put roads, you're going to build in walled cities, and you score for your three biggest walled cities, and uh, the game is all really about connecting those roads. And I think this could be cool. Again, I really like Carcassonne, and I really like Railroad Inc., so this seems like a really cool combination of those two games. Um, once again, it is a print-and-play game, so I'm not sure if it's ever going to be full-on published, and I rarely to never actually play print-and-play games, but this one caught my attention, and I did want to uh, mention it so that other people uh, might learn more about it as well. It says it's a 20 to 40 minute game for one to four players. Let's move on to Kanaloa. Uh, this says, Sail by the Grace of the Tikis. Uh, now, this is being designed by Gunter Burkhart, who has designed many games. Uh, there we go. That's right. <laughs> Ulm and Maori are two in particular that I have played. Uh, Maori was a game that I really liked. I, I owned this one like eight, nine years ago or so, and it's a game that I got rid of and Honestly, I kind of regret it. Uh, that's that's one that I kind of wish I had not uh, sold. Uh, maybe one day I'll get another copy of it uh, because I had some really neat ideas. But I'm not talking about Maori. I'm talking about Kanaloa. And this one is actually a trick-taking game with some other things going on. And I know I just mentioned that with the uh, other game I talked about just a couple ago. Uh, now, it looks like in this game, it's more of a race flavor to the mechanics in this trick-taking game. Uh, you are uh, playing these cards out and you're trying to race ahead on this track of different cards with different colors on them. And the description of the game tries to describe how this works. Honestly, it didn't make complete sense to me based off of the content that it has out here. It has a whole breakdown of, you know, what a round consists of. But in general, it seems like this game is about trying to play tricks to get ahead, but then there are also uh, penalties for going too far ahead because you actually remove cards that are behind you so that people can kind of catch up quicker. It says it's a 20 to 25 minute game for three to five players. So this is probably relatively light in the uh, trick-taking space. Um, perhaps it's not one that would actually be that interesting to me. Um, one of the main reasons I'm following this one is because I did like Maori so much. I think Gunter Burkhardt has some pretty cool ideas. Um, I liked the ideas in Ulm quite a bit. I didn't actually enjoy my one play of it that much, but I thought there were some really neat stuff going on. I think as a designer, Gunter Burkhardt has some cool stuff. So uh, maybe there is um, things in here that I'd like, or maybe it would just be a little bit too light for me. I'm not really sure at this point. Let's move on to Last Light. <laughs> now, this game is being published by Gray Fox Games, and the designer is Roy Kennedy, who I believe is part of the Dice Tower Network. Um, now, the theme of this game is one of the darkest that I think I've ever really heard, just because, well, listen to this. Um, Last Light is a fast-paced 4X game with 3D planets and a rotating board in which players are playing asymmetric alien races, simultaneously trying to gather light right before the heat death of the universe. 
<laughs> so this is, you know, playing from the perspective that there is just one white dwarf left in the entire known universe, and we're all fighting over the last remnants of light that are emanating from it before there is complete darkness forever. I mean, I guess the name Last Light makes sense, but wow, that is a, uh, that's a dark theme for a game that does seem, you know, like it maybe isn't necessarily leaning into that darkness. You know, you could say that a game like Kingdom Death Monster is uh, super dark in theme, but, you know, does it get much more dark than this? I don't, I don't think so. Uh, now, it does say it's a wonderful player game, uh, 60 to 90 minutes, um, which is kind of a uh, uh, holy grail of, of board games, people trying to find that 60 to 90 minute 4X style game, and, um, Games keep trying to be that, and I'm not sure if any game has really pulled that off. Uh, maybe this one will. Um, I do know, yeah, it says down here that um, players are going to put action cards down simultaneously, so you don't have long waiting between one person's big turn moving ships around and then your big turn moving ships around. It seems like it's going to be a little bit more fast-paced as you're playing cards simultaneously. It's not a timed game or anything, but that decision space is a little bit different when you're doing simultaneous action uh, selection. And uh, yeah, it looks like you're just trying to gather light. Um, I'm really curious to see what this rotating board looks like, and it's got a whole bunch of different mechanics uh, listed. Uh, one of them is war game. In, in general, I'm not crazy about troops on a map style games, and it seems like that's probably gonna be part of this. Um, I'm not sure if this is one I'll be chasing down, but I'm definitely intrigued to see how it works in greater detail. And I have to admit, I I, I like the theme. <laughs> I read that and I just laughed um, because, wow, it's really, you know, going there. <laughs> as far as, you know, when you just sit there and think about what is life and where is everything going? Well, this is kind of like a board game designed of the uh, the end of that thought process, but uh, either way, let's move on to Merchants of Soul. So once again, we are in outer space. Uh, now, interestingly enough, this one does not have a designer listed and the publisher is Panda Game Manufacturing. Now they make a lot of board games, like many publishers use them to create their board games. I didn't really know they were publishing their own games, which is Kind of interesting. Uh, now this says it's a 60 to 120 minute game for a one, uh, two to six players where you are the captain of a merchant ship and you are at the head of a really powerful family in the solar system and it looks like you're doing merchant uh, type stuff in space. Um, honestly, the very end of the description, it says fair winds and following seas, which doesn't seem very space oriented. It seems like this, you know, could have potentially been set in the Mediterranean or something like that, but it does say it's science fiction with space exploration. Uh, it's apparently going to be going up onto Kickstarter, and let's see, it does have an image of a prototype of the game. It looks like it's got a pretty interesting looking map of the solar system. I'm not really sure how exactly that works, so maybe I spoke too soon. Maybe this would not work well in a Mediterranean theme, and actually, before I move on, I would be doing this a disservice to not mention that a key element to this game is narration. As you draw cards to determine your fate, each destination and event has an exciting blend of story and facts about our solar system, including the planets, dwarf planets, and moons that fill it. So it says it's a unique design with simple mechanics involving subtle strategy to ensure a wonderful balanced play experience. Um, so that narrative part definitely would set it apart from just a merchant style training game. So yeah, I'm curious to learn more about this one. Let's move on to Micro Impidios. Uh, this says you lead your civilization through historic ages in this strategic card game. Uh, now, it says it's two to five players in 40 to 80 minutes, so it's not necessarily a filler style game, but it looks like it is a small game. 
and it looks, appears like it has a small box. It says that in this game, each player takes on the role of a leader of a civilization that must progress and develop more efficiently than their enemies. While they evolve their technology, players can use maximum population limits in order to take actions, in order to you know, solve disputes with their neighbors and you know try to steal technologies and whatnot. Um, now, they do have some images of the prototype in play, and this is the main reason that I'm following it, because these images show cards kind of stacked on top of each other, um, almost like Patch, uh, sorry, Patch History, there we go, uh, which is a game I never played, but I've seen many photos of. Uh, I'm not sure if this is similar at all. The cards don't look like the cards did in Patch History, but it definitely appears like you are like stacking these cards. So I'm curious to learn more about how this one works. Um, this could be a neat game. I mean, a 40 to 80 minute time frame for that player count uh, definitely seems like something that I could see myself wanting to play. Next up, we have Monasterium, uh, which might end up being released as Monastery in English. I'm, I'm not really sure. Now, the main reason I'm following this one is because of the designer. Uh, this is uh, Arvid D. Fuller, and if I'm not mistaken, yep, they designed uh, El Gaucho, uh, which I really quite like. Uh, they designed Festo 2, which I enjoyed, and Pagoda was also a cool game. Uh, let's see, <laughs> they have a lot more design credentials on here, and those are the only ones that I'm familiar with, but uh, El Gaucho was a cool game, and so that was enough for me to be intrigued. Now, they have actually uh, published the rules to this one. I don't think they are on BGG, but I found them on the uh, DLP website. They have the English rules, and this game has a really interesting dice mechanic. So the way it works is and, and there's a series of phases, a series of rounds, and in the first round, each player is going to roll dice, and then they are going to select all of one pit value of dice in front of them and put those down onto the spot on the board that matches that pit value, and then the next player goes, and then I think we just keep going around and around until every die has been uh, allocated out onto the board. So players are trying to decide which dice are going to go into these different bowls, and each bowl from one to six is going to have different actions associated with it. After that, players will then take actions using the dice pool that they collectively built out together, and it is a competitive game. And when they do this, they have to, they can only take up to three dice from a uh, pool, and if there are dice of their specific color, because there are player color dice and neutral dice, then they have to take their dice first, and then they perform actions with those dice. So that's a really neat idea. I've definitely played a lot of dice pool drafting games where you roll the dice, you separate them out automatically, and then you take actions. This is the first game that I've heard of where you actually make decisions to build out the dice pool before you then do stuff with that. Now, as far as the stuff that you do, it looks like it's a very typical kind of Middle Ages type stuff. You're running a monastery and you've got um, uh, people that you're trying to teach, you know, students, and you're sending them to the chapel and you're sending them, I think, you know, to a wide variety of different places to do various actions. The rest of the game seems fine. It seems like, you know, just the wheels that you crank with this main dice uh, engine, which I am quite fascinated by. So this is one that I am really looking forward to trying. Um, I think they have opened up pre-orders for this one, but they're not currently shipping to the United States, which is a little bit frustrating. Um, so hopefully I'll be able to um, find a way to play this one at some point in the future. Let's move on to Oros. Uh, this says, you form mountains and build sacred monuments in the pursuit of wisdom and knowledge. It's a one to four player game for 60 to 120 uh, minutes. And let's see here. Uh, it says that this is a tile colliding, volcano erupting, mountain making, wisdom gathering, action economy strategy game. Uh, that's quite the sentence. <laughs> uh, now there's a pretty big description on BGG and I'm not gonna read through all of it, but the reason I am intrigued in this game is because 
of that um, tile colliding volcano erupting part specifically. It says it's a uh, puzzly style game with area movement and worker placement. And they do have some images on Board Game Geek, and it appears that this game uses a uh, square tile grid, and it starts off with the ocean, and you are adding these tiles down. And I believe you are going to be shoving these tiles so that they collide into each other, uh, sometimes making mountain ranges and also sometimes making volcanoes that could definitely impact things. Uh, it appears there are workers of some degree out here on the table, so I'm not sure how those all play into it, but I am a sucker for games where you build a map. Um, I mentioned before that I love Carcassonne, and that's one of the reasons. I just love the way the map looks at the end. Uh, same with Cartographers. You are literally building a map in that game, and I really enjoy that aspect. So that is one of the main reasons I'm intrigued by this, um, and I also am intrigued by the mechanical uh, impact of, you know, colliding these cards into each other, uh, almost like, you know, continental shelves. Uh, that seems pretty interesting. So I am looking forward to uh, learning more about this one. Currently, like I said, there's a pretty big description, um, but it didn't go into all of the details of the game, which makes sense. Um, there isn't really... Oh, actually, it says it's public on Tabletopia, and apparently it was on Kickstarter a month ago. I've not done my research very well. Uh, oh, wait. Yeah, okay. It's not actually on Kickstarter yet, I lied, but it is on Tabletopia and it's probably going to be going up onto Kickstarter. So I might look into this one after I'm done filming. Uh, I could maybe try this one on Tabletopia. Uh, anyway, let's move on to the next game. And that one is Plantopia. Uh, this one is designed by Daryl Chow and the publisher is Aura Game. And this game, it doesn't have any images of what it looks like, but the, the box cover is so cute. I just couldn't help but be intrigued to learn more. It's got all these adorable little cartoon uh, vegetables. <laughs> like, you know, I guess not just vegetables, just plants. You got like, you know, a cactus and you've got tomatoes and you've got flowers and you have a banana in there as well and a mushroom. So I guess not even just plants. Uh, now it says this is a 20 to 30 minute game for two to five players. And it says it's a strategy card game where players harness their gardening abilities to contend for the coveted title of Plantopia's Champion Gardener. You manage your plants in your hand and in your tableau to build the best combos to earn the most magical leaves. And it just seems uh, silly. You have to capitalize on the immediate powers of baby plants while harnessing the score combos of tree-volved plants. Um, it seems like you are just putting these cards out to try and get points as you combo them together. It says it has simultaneous action selection, which probably makes sense with a 20 to 30 minute time frame. And yeah, this one could be fun. It also could be something that's not really got enough there for me, but I'd like to learn more about this one. Uh, oh my gosh, it actually has an English how to play video on, <laughs> on BGG. I have definitely not done my homework well enough this time. I'm gonna watch that later. Uh, all right, let's move on to Seastead. Uh, this says that it is a two-player game. It says 30 minutes, and this is effectively a two-player version of Flotilla. Now, Flotilla is a game that came out um, about a year ago or so, and it had some really cool ideas um, where it's kind of a water world post-apocalyptic setting where people are surviving on floating rafts on the ocean and you can either be a diver digging, uh, diving down into the water to find artifacts of the previous civilizations, or you could be an aristocrat essentially on the flotilla trying to build it out. Um, it had some amazing ideas, but didn't quite come together as far as a cohesive game. Uh, unfortunately, I did play it a couple times, but I really did like the theme. Honestly, it's kind of like Waterworld and I loved Waterworld, <laughs> the movie when it came out. I was like, 11 or something. But either way, um, this does ha this has uh, different designers, but it's being published by the same publisher. And it looks like in this game, you are essentially... So in Flotilla, you 
started out all as divers, but you could make a permanent shift to being a, um, uh, what was it called? Uh, Skysider, I think, essentially an aristocrat, and then you were that for the rest of the game. In Seastead, it looks like you kind of do both as you're going through the game. On your turn, you're either going to dive and get stuff, or you're going to build stuff out on the flotillas on the water. So you don't have that pivotal moment of do you change over the way you play the game, which is fine. That was cool mechanically, but it was a little bit clunky in uh, execution, at least as far as I could tell. Um, now, the way diving works in this game is you um, draw a card, and it's going to have resources on two sides, and you have to decide which side of the resources you want. So every time you dive, you're giving yourself uh, resources and your opponent resources. And of course, every time they dive, you get resources again. And this is one of my favorite mechanics in board games where you get stuff even when it's not your turn. Obviously, you don't have a decision to make when it's not your turn. You're just gifted things, and it doesn't really seem like there's any penalties involved with that, like um, hand sizes or anything. So getting stuff when it's not your turn seems good. Having that decision to figure out what's best for you and also not good for your opponent to try and figure out what you give them also seems neat. And then you are placing buildings out onto these four flotillas in the middle of the table that have a variety of different build spots with special activations, and you can add new tiles, which give custom endgame scoring conditions and stuff. It just looks really neat. Um, there is a rulebook posted on BGG, and honestly, I barely skimmed it. Um, there's also a hour and a half long video of some people playing it, uh, and I saw enough to be intrigued uh, to um, maybe watch a more concise video. I, I did skim through the rulebook, and uh, <laughs> I was in the middle of, of looking at all of these games getting prepared for this video, and my eyes started to go a bit cross-eyed, not because of the game, just because I'd been learning about so many games. Essentially, I do like a one and a half to two hour cram session, uh, remembering why I was interested in all of these games before I actually start filming this, and this was right there in the middle, I guess more to the end with uh, the letter S, but either way, uh, this looks like a game I'd like to play. I'm definitely more interested in two-player-only games these days, and again, I like Flotilla, and I like Waterworld, so I'm definitely well-positioned, I think, to potentially enjoy this one. Let's move on to Sons of Fariel. It says, you bring glory to your wibbits under the menace of corruption. Which side will you be on? That does not make any sense without context. Uh, that's right. So the reason I am following this one is because it's being published by Tabula Games. Um, now, they have put out some really good-looking games as far as the miniature quality and the art aesthetic overall. Um, I haven't actually played any of their games, but I've done sponsored videos for a couple of them, in particular Icaon and uh, Sanctuary, The Keeper's Era. Um, it wasn't anything against those games. They were just prototypes that I would then ship on. So I haven't actually tried them, but their games do look good. Um, and so so that was enough for me to be intrigued in this one. Uh, it looks like this is more of a fantasy miniatures type situation. Um, it's a semi-cooperative game. Ah, that's right. There's another reason why I was interested in this, and that's because it has a prisoner's dilemma listed as a mechanism. Uh, now, in this game, it seems like it starts off cooperative, and you are all trying to fight back this corruption, but as you are playing through the game, let's see here, uh, one can even surrender to serve the corruption and become the opponent to the others, a choice that offers yet another way to change the winning conditions. So I'm assuming this is where the prisoner's dilemma comes in. Um, I'm not really sure any more beyond that, and I'm not sure how close it's going to be to specifically the idea of prisoner's dilemma, which, you know, at a very high level essentially is... Um, Two prisoners make a decision without talking to each other. If they both um, go one way, then the benefits are different than if they go the other. Effectively, if they 
out each other, then it's really bad for them. But if they, one person outs the other person, the other person doesn't, then it's really bad for them. So the idea is, again, I'm really abstracting this, that the best thing for them to do is to not out each other at all. But if you don't trust them and you decide to out them, then it's the worst case scenario. And you don't really know which way it's going to go. Um, I'm assuming that's what's going on here. And also, I apologize if I just made a mistake with that. I'm pretty sure that's how Prisoner's Dilemma works. Um, I did not do research on that. It's been a long time since college. Either way, uh, that's why I'm interested in this one. It looks like it could be pretty cool. Let's now move on to Stampede. Uh, now, this is a two to six player game that only plays in 20 minutes, uh, which does start to get it into that range where I do start to lose interest. But um, there was a news post put onto BGG about this one. Let's see if I can find that. And yeah, it was a designer diary, essentially, uh, detailing how this game was made. And specifically, it seems like the impetus for this game was the designer seeing that his daughter really liked the game Monopoly Deal, the card game. Uh, so he kind of built a game in that same kind of style uh, where you are, it's essentially like an advanced or not an advanced version of Uno, but like think Uno and I think there's like one more step of complexity. So it's not, doesn't play like Uno, but it's that kind of genre of games. Now it seems like in this game, what you are doing is um, you're trying to build out a tableau of uh, different animal cards in front of you. And essentially every single action in the game involves swapping cards. So you can kind of have it take that element with your opponents, but you're never just removing something permanently. You are giving them something while you're taking them. And there are a variety of different actions that you are doing. Um, it seems like it is a, um, obviously a relatively light game. It's only listed at, um, 20 minutes overall, but you know, this could be a fun game for two to six players to especially play. Um, if I'm hanging out with family who doesn't play uh, games that much or some of the younger nieces and nephews that I've played games with. Um, I know last Christmas, um, I brought a uh, llama and that one did, uh, that one went very well, uh, with the family over Christmas. Like, um, they love that one so much, honestly, that I left them my copy. So this game seems to me like maybe another one of those, like if I was to go travel and play games with the family and the nieces and nephews, I would maybe want to bring this one along where I could potentially have a lot of fun because with Llama, I played it with my gamer friends and it kind of crashed and burned. It was not a good time. But when I played it with the family, they loved it so much. They just, we played it like over and over and over again. And again, I just decided to leave them with it because they were obviously enjoying it way more than I was going to with my uh, regular gaming friends. So this might be another one of those. And it's got a really nice art aesthetic with animals and it's got a kind of like animals on stamps, uh, art vibe thing going on. So this one certainly could be fun. Let's now move on to Switch and Signal. Now, this one's being published by Cosmos, and the designer is David Thompson, who designed, or at least co-designed, I believe, Undaunted, yeah, Undaunted and War Chest, uh, and apparently a bunch of other stuff on BGG. Now, this game, it says it's a re-implementation of Switch and Signal, which was a, I believe, a print-and-play game that came out in 2014. Yeah, 2014. And I'm not sure exactly how different they are, but it says it's a 45-minute game for two to four players. Um, now, it says you are uh, cooperating to load trains and guide them through a congested rail network. And in fact, this is a fully cooperative game. Uh, now, there's not that much um, in the way of images on BGG, at least for the Cosmos version of the game, but in the 2014 version, there are some images, so I can pull those up. And it looks like you have a map of 
really not really sure where, but there are a variety of different spots with different rail uh, um, um, icons in between them and a bunch of trains. And I am assuming these trains are moving around and you are cooperative, cooperating to try and play cards in order to make sure they don't run into each other and to make sure they are efficient as they deliver all this stuff. The fact that it has a 45-minute listed playtime uh, means it's probably not too terribly complex, but that's fine by me. I mean, I enjoy cooperative games and, you know, 45 minutes is getting pretty close to that ideal playtime of 60 to 90 for me. I, I really don't mind playing a 45-minute game. Again, I like playing lots of games over and over again instead of just sitting down to play like a three-hour game and that's it for the evening. So this seems like this could uh, slot really well into that. Let's now move on to a longer game. This one is The Potter's Apprentice. It's listed as a 2021 release from a designer and publisher pair that I'm not familiar with. It says it's a one to four player game. It's 90 to 180 minutes listed. Now, the main reason I am interested in this game is the theme. I don't think I've seen a game that uses this theme before. Um, this is all about running a pottery shop where you are literally making pots. Um, you take on an apprentice who can help you out as you're playing through the game more. It says this is a complex Euro-style board game um, that lasts around 120 minutes. Uh, the game blends a variety of popular mechanics such as hand and resource management, set collection, contracts, and area majority, as well as a unique worker placement mechanic in which placing your workers to take actions on your turn is secondary and optional. This allows players more freedom to accomplish what they want to do on their turn while holding on to workers until spaces become available again. And the last line is also interesting. It says, to immerse you in the experience of being a potter, the game board features a rotating wheel which is essential to the core gameplay. So not only are you playing a a complex hero where you are running a pottery shop with apprentices trying to make the pottery and probably sell the pottery. Um, you also have a spinning pottery board in the middle of the table that's going to work in some way. Right now, they just have an image of the box cover. They don't um, have any images of the uh, prototype or anything like that on BGG yet, but I'm really intrigued. Um, it might be a little bit on the longer side for at least as far as my wheelhouse is concerned, but I enjoy, you know, two to three hour games on occasion, uh, especially if they have interesting uh, mechanical ideas. And it seems like this one has interesting mechanical and thematic ideas. So hopefully it's good. Um, right now, there are no images or uh, videos or forums or really anything posted on BGG. In fact, I'm just one of seven people subscribed to this one. It is listed as a 2021 game though. So I suppose um, there will be more um, information coming out in the future. Although 2021 is not that far away now that I think about it. But either way, that is The Potter's Apprentice. I am actively interested in learning more about this one. All right, let's move on to the Science and Seance Society, which is a fun title to say. It says you use the mystic arts or you employ the scientific method in this head-to-head -head contest. Now, it's a 15 to 30 minute game, so definitely on the quick side. It's a two-player only game designed by Daniel Newman. Um, and he has uh, done a couple designs before. I actually have uh, playtested at least one of his designs online before. A really nice guy. Um, and the publisher is New Mill Industries, which I believe is Daniel Newman and one other designer teaming up to try and publish some of their games. Now, this game has a really interesting idea. Uh, so it's a two-player only game, but it's asymmetric. So it's called the Science and Seance Society. Well, one person plays as science and the other person plays as seance, essentially. Now, the seance player is doing a um, tarot card kind of puzzly game where they're trying to uh, get specific tarot cards and arrange them in specific orders. And if they are able to get to their, um, their winning condition, then they just win. Uh, now, on the opposite side of the table, you have the 
scientific player who is trying to establish order from chaos. And the way they do that is they are pulling dice from a bag and rolling them to place them onto engine cards that have specific needs. And they are going to win if they can complete all of their five engine cards before the seance player is able to complete their tarot card puzzle that they're doing on the other side of the table. And it seems like part of the actions that you're doing actually mess with your opponent. Um, I am having a hard time thinking of a really asymmetric two-player only game that I've played recently. I know they exist, but they're somewhat uncommon. And in this game, the players are literally playing two completely different games, trying to essentially race to complete their asymmetric minigame before the opponent does. Um, so this one could be really neat. I'm definitely intrigued by the overall idea of this and the thematic idea. That seems fun. Um, so I'm looking forward to learning more about this. Let's now move on to transmissions. Uh, this says that it's you share mechanical friends in a lovely Rondell worker placement game. Uh, so it's a 45 to 60 minute game for two to four players. And down below, it says that in the game, players are going to share robots as workers to move around a Rondell style board. You collect uh, engrams and electricity while you're doing this. Uh, these are used to gather ideas to improve uh, your use of the robots in order to score points, and you will also build your own set of connected flowing pipes with, while gathering birds and butterflies <laughs> to score even more points. I guess you put those in the pipes, not really sure. Uh, the game ends when no ideas are left, a player's robots are complete, or there are no uh, pipes left to build. Uh, so it has a unique mechanic of worker selection and sharing um, uh, those workers, along with apparently incredible illustrations, adorable miniature robots, and a very welcoming play in about 60 minutes. Right now, they don't have any images online at all for Board Game Geek. So one of the reasons I am subscribed to this one is because I want to see those images. I want to see the adorable robots. Uh, but also, I like the idea of shared worker placement games. I know that there have been a couple of those before. Um, there's one, I think it might have been called Red Outpost. It was about, like, colonizing a planet and then sharing workers amongst each other. That might be the wrong name, though. Um, it's a rarely used mechanic. Let's put it that way. So I enjoy seeing more people try that out. Um, especially like seeing that alongside adorable, uh, <laughs> robots in a 60 minute or so game. So this does seem like a game I could enjoy overall. And I'm looking forward, uh, to seeing those images and learning even more about it. Let's now move on to a really old game. This is Vikings. Uh, now, I think all the games I've talked about before uh, are new games. I guess Switch and Signal is a new version of a print-and-play game. Uh, this game came out in 2007, and it's had uh, a few printings from a few different publishers. And honestly, I only just learned about it. I've been actively following board games since about 2008. 2009 is really when I fell off the deep end. Um, so this game was relatively new back then, but I never bumped into it. Um, now, I happened to see somebody talking about this one on Twitter. I saw some uh, images of what the game looked like in the middle of play, and I was like, hey, that, lo that game looks cool. Oh, I want to learn more about that. And I went on to BGG and found out that the game is 13 years old. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> I've played thousands of games, and I've learned about thousands of games. And there are still games that a lot of people know and like that came out a long time ago that I'm just not familiar with. Uh, so I missed this one. Uh, now, there are a bunch of videos on Board Game Geek uh, because this one has been covered um, a lot over the years. And it seems like in this game, you are essentially building out a tableau of different tiles in front of you using um, a circular wheel market where the price of the tiles is going to get lower as you actually buy them up and that wheel is rotating. I'm abstracting this for sure, but just trying to give you an idea. Now, in front of you, you're building out these long, skinny islands that you're putting different colored Vikings down onto depending on the color that they're in. And the top column actually has ships that attack your Vikings in a column going all the way down. So you're trying to uh, strategically put your tiles out in such a way to get points for them, which 
even I don't fully understand, I skimmed the uh, rules video for it, but you're trying to get points and you're trying to place other Vikings down to block the attacks coming in from the ships, or maybe you just try to explore your islands so that they're not adjacent to the ships at all. It just seems like a neat game. This seems like the kind of game I'd like. Uh, honestly, the islands in this game look very similar to the islands in Maori that I talked about earlier. Um, I'm just a sucker for this kind of game. Again, you are building out a map. Sure, it looks like in this game, all the islands are uh, horizontal. They all go in a row, so it's a little less compelling from a map building perspective, but the game looks neat. It's uh, two to four players in 60 minutes or so. Oh, it's also designed by Michael Kiesling, who has designed so many great games. Um, so this is one that's definitely going onto my list of a game I'd like to play at some point, you know, uh, if I was going to board game GeekCon this year, this would absolutely be on the list to try and find in the library to play with friends to give a shot. Um, it doesn't look like it's crazy expensive. Like there's a $45 version of it on the geek market right now. There's 17 total copies. So um, it might be out of print, but it's not, um, you know, crazy out of print, or at least it doesn't seem to be. Um, but I don't think this is... Um, high enough on my interest level to go out and spend like 45 to $50 to get a copy. Uh, but at some point, I do hope to give this one a shot and maybe I'll love it. And maybe at that point, I'll try to get my own copy. All right, let's now move on to the final game I will be talking about today. And that one is Vivid. Uh, this is being published by Floodgate Games and the designers are Matthew Dunstan and Brett Gilbert. Um, now they've designed many games together. I believe they designed Elysium um, and, and several others. And I know that uh, each of them has also designed things solo. Um, I've actually met Matthew Dunstan a couple times at Essen Spiel. He, he is a super nice guy. I've had some really great conversations with him. Um, either way, uh, that was honestly enough for me to be interested in this game. Also. Floodgate Games makes some really good-looking games like Sagrada, uh, really, really high production quality, and uh, Bosque. Now, this is a two to four player game for 30 to 45 minutes, so it's not terribly long. Uh, and the theme is, is kind of wonderful. It says it's a game about collecting memories and uh, how you remember them is everything. So down below, it says that this is a drafting game of building a network of connected memories formed by threads of colored tokens. With the touch of, uh, oh sorry, with a touch of engine building and a lot of characters, this completely language independent experience invokes the wonder of childhood memories with immersive art and fluid, deceptively simple gameplay that creates big moments with satisfying payoffs. Um, so it looks like you are, you know, going through your drafting, you're doing network building. Um, it's not terribly long, 30 to 45 minutes, um, which was about the length of Bosque, which was also uh, published by Floodgate Games. Um, so I'm quite interested in this. Uh, right now they have no images on BGG, but I did notice um, on their Twitter feed that they had an image of the box cover on their website. So um, <laughs> I pulled that one up. It's got a great art style with like a big elephant in the front cover um, and, you know, a kid riding on top of it. But of course the kid is actually just pulling a wagon with a little, you know, teddy bear on top. So definitely leaning hard into the idea of imagination. I mean, the game is called Vivid, so I guess it's like having a vivid imagination, but then having, you know, drafting and network building and all these things built on top of it as you are threading together these memories. And again, I really like that um, that line at the top where it says, how you remember them is everything. So essentially how you uh, lay all these memories out and connect them together is everything as far as how you win the game. So yeah, I, I would really like to learn more about this one. Uh, right now, there is essentially nothing on BGG except for this description, but um, it is a 2021 release. So I am sure some new stuff will be coming out for that one in the future. Uh, well, that has completed the <laughs> 31 new games uh, that I was interested in, that I learned about over the last month. Um, there were a lot more that I saw that didn't quite get my interest high enough to actually make it onto this list. But if I'm being honest, 
talking about 31 games after just four weeks since the last one of these vlogs, uh, that was a bigger number than I thought. As I was going through this kind of vetting the list uh, and learning about them again, I was surprised at how few I was removing. Um, once again, I take all of the games that I've learned about and then I just sit down for like two hours and I just read everything about them right before I film this vlog. And usually I knock out like 30 to 40% of them. And this time I think I only knocked out about 15 to 20%. So uh, I guess that's not too surprising. It's the middle of the year. Um, Gen Con, you know, kind of just happened and Spiel is just around the corner. Again, all these things are digital and online. So 2020 is a strange year for these um, the releases overall. But, you know, this is still the time of the year where people are really trying, or publishers are really trying to pump up their stuff and trying to get people excited and send the stuff out. So it's not too surprising that we're seeing a rush of uh, fascinating looking games uh, hitting Board Game Geek at this moment. Um, and that's probably going to continue going on into the future as I continue to watch the new games that come out. So yeah, I think that is going to bring this podcast to a close. Thanks for listening.